2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. I'm delighted today to talk again to Mohammed Jalal. You're most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum, It's really wonderful to be back on your show. It's fantastic to have you again, sir. Uh, for those who don't remember, because he's a regular guest, uh, Muhammad is a political scientist and educator in politics in London and hosts the brilliant podcast, The Thinking Muslim. Uh, You really must uh, watch his shows if you're unaware of that channel. I'll link to it in the description below, by the way. He delivers a a regular course for young Muslims exploring the thoughts of Islam and liberalism and is currently working on developing content on the same subject for the Sapiens Institute. He writes for numerous online journals, including Traversing Tradition, Muslim Matters and CAGE. He can be found on Twitter at uh, Jalalain, uh, which I'll link to in the description below. And of course, I'll link to his wonderful channel. Today, um, we're going to be exploring Muslims and the UK political system, particularly elections that are coming up next year. Yes, we've got UK elections next year. I think we're having them in America. Is it other US elections next year? Good Absolutely. Yeah. We could have Trump in the White House. And we could have Labour, Keir Starmer yeah. in Downing Street. Good grief. Yeah. Uh, And um, so exploring the the, the UK elections, uh, but especially in light of the British government and opposition giving uncritical support to Israel's devastating attacks on Gaza and their unwillingness to call for a ceasefire, truly shocking. Many people are absolutely astounded by this failure to call for a ceasefire. Anyway, could you perhaps introduce... Uh, set the scene, the political scene uh, for us why has gaza made the elections matter to to muslims
3: yeah bismillahirrahmanirrahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen assalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala wa sahbihi ajma'in well jazakallah khair thank you very much for your kind introduction paul and um, i think as you quite rightly said um, gaza has in many ways woken us up on multiple levels um we've realized that um, the type of influence we may have believed we had here in the West because of the influence of, of Muslims generally in society may may not be as, uh, as conclusive as we had imagined. Um, so many of the MPs, over 80% of MPs in Parliament, voted against the SNP, the Scottish Nationalists, um, they put forward a uh, an amendment to something called the king's Speech. Uh, and the amendment called for a an immediate ceasefire. And a large number of MPs, in particular, by the way, MPs in very strong Muslim concentrated areas, these are largely Labour MPs, voted in favour. It voted against a
2: ceasefire. And so, so it's it becomes so just a pause here. These are Labour MPs, yeah. traditionally thought to be supportive and caring for ethnic yeah. minorities. Uh, in constituencies with a large number of Muslims opposing a ceasefire, opposing the the, the slaughter of Gazans. I, mean, I mean, who would have believed that possible like a couple of months ago if if someone had prophesied this taking place? Who would have believed that possible? But it actually has happened and it still is happened. I mean, this is not history. This is current reality, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. Um, just to give you some examples to illustrate how complicit these MPs and in particular the Labour MPs have been. Just think about Shabana Mahmood. Gaza has really been a wake-up call for lots of Muslims. Um, We believe that we had a certain level of influence here in Britain and in the West in general. And that influence really comes from the fact that very many Muslims today are, uh, I suppose, integrated in inverted commas into uh, the professions You've got Muslims who are civil servants. You've got Muslims who are working as lawyers. You've got Muslims who are working as lecturers and, and teachers in, at school in schools. Mm. So we felt that uh, the Muslim community had a certain level of leverage by the very fact that we are quite embedded within these societies. Now, what has become very apparent, in particular when it comes to the politics is that uh, a number of um, uh, Muslim representatives and non-Muslim representatives, Labour and Conservative, largely Labour, by the way, uh, these representatives have decided that they're going to vote for against a ceasefire. The SNP put forward, as I said, a, a, uh, a amendment to the King's speech uh, calling for a ceasefire. I think that was now uh, three, three weeks back. And a great number of MPs, members of parliament, decided that uh, it's just not worth rocking the boat and they voted against that. A good example of that is Shabana Mahmud. Now, Shabana Mahmud is a Muslim. Historically, actually, she's got a very positive record on issues to do with Palestine. Shabana Mahmoud is a Labour MP. She is probably the most the second most important uh, MP in parliament when it comes to Muslims, because she's not only uh, an MP for Ladywood, she's also a shadow minister. And she will be clearly, she will have a shadow ministerial post uh, portfolio once she becomes, uh, once Labour come to power. And um, not only that, Shabana Mahmood uh, is the policy director for next year's elections. So she's got a very prominent role in the parliamentary party, yet she decided to vote against that ceasefire to abstain, which is in effect vote against the ceasefire just to make a point about Shabana Mahmood. Um, she lives; uh, she's the MP for Birmingham Ladywood, which is it ranks in the top five constituencies in the UK, where you have substantial Muslim concentrations. So most of her uh, her um, uh,
0: constituents are actually. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savoury tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time and if you love the fillet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6 limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price
3: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. muslim in mm-hmm. fact 42% of her constituents are muslims um so it's the largest voting block in her area yet when uh, the labor party decided they're not going to back a ceasefire the whips, so these are the party whips who uh who are the party managers and they're responsible for maintaining some level of discipline within the party. The whips said to those MPs that were teetering on you know whether to vote with or without, the whips said to uh those MPs that it doesn't matter, the Muslim vote doesn't count, it's not gonna impact you, it's not gonna impact your seat. And I would like to come back to that later. Why did were they so bold in making that? Uh, making that point uh, to those MPs who live in areas that are substantial Muslim.
2: I mean, I'd like to ask you about that. Is, is that your reading of the situation or do we actually have quotes or sources saying yeah. that the whips actually said that?
3: There are multiple sources from MPs who later said that there was a lot of pressure put on them. And uh, one um, uh, one such message that went out to those MPs who lived in, Muslims and non-Muslims who live in, uh, very strong concentrated Muslim areas, of that the message was it doesn't matter, the Muslims aren't, in effect, I mean the implication now, the rest is, is my analysis, the implication is Muslims are just not sufficiently organized to impact the outcome of your seat, so why worry about them? Mm. Um, uh, it's not just, by the way, Shabana Mahmood, Rushnara Ali, in one of the most concentrated Muslim seats in London, Bethnal Green and Stepney, Uh, Used to be Bethna Green and both. There's been a boundary change uh, in the area. Um, Again, she voted against the ceasefire, even though she gave a speech barely five minutes before the vote calling for a ceasefire. (laughs) Uh, Yet she went into the lobby, the voting lobby, and voted with her party now uh, that speech was, was probably and again this is my analysis but a lot of political commentators have said something very similar she was probably allowed to make that pro ceasefire speech
2: as long as she voted with the party uh, uh, in in one and, direction and extraordinary I mean I, I've never I can't really imagine there's a Muslim on the planet that that uh, would would be against a ceasefire except, our, our wonderful elected representatives in Parliament uh, who uh, are against this its extraordinary, isn't it? Um, and it's similar, like about previous issues, like gay marriage. You know, overwhelmingly, you know, Muslims are against that, and yet our elected representatives in Britain, at least, and in America, actually, uh, our Muslim representatives support gay marriage. They seem really seriously out of touch.
3: You know, if if only it was uh, that they're out of touch. Many of these, if you speak to them individually, and I've had the opportunity over the years. Uh, to speak to MPs one one to one, you will find that they actually do have some level of individual conscience. They do believe that what's happening in Palestine, for example, is totally unacceptable, especially these Muslim MPs. But when it comes to it, they uh, it's partly careerism. They want to remain within the party shadow cabinet in order to be given a post because it's very evident now that the labor party is going to form a government next year yeah. if there is a general election of course remember a general election could happen anytime between now and january 2025 Gosh. it's most likely to still to be in october that's what most are saying but it's very possible
1: mm-hmm. that
3: the election could be brought forward to right. uh, the spring to to may so many of these mps May actually individually, morally, see that to be an unacceptable position. But because of the strength of the party machinery, and that's where I want to, you know, one of the key messages I want to uh, relate today. The problem with the British political system, and actually to a greater degree, the American political system, uh, is that the party machinery, the way by which the liberal state, solicits a form of acceptance and acquiescence from El, all of its members is through these political parties and the labor party is an institution and so to put that in layman's terms if you are a muslim mp and you're trying to get uh, trying to reach the higher echelons of your party and and the government uh, if your party's in power you have to make a series of compromises in order to reach uh, those levels we know that Sadiq Khan is a great example of just the horrible compromises someone has had to do has to make in order to reach office I mean Sadiq Khan is almost silent on Gaza for example and in fact I remember the last time we spoke this was pre-Gaza conflict pre-Gaza slaughter uh, we mentioned that as an example of Sadiq Khan you know he was very happy to um, uh to 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 go all out on ukraine he flew the ukrainian flag he had the ukrainian Mm. flag beamed up on 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 the um on uh, uh the the city hall yet when it comes to gaza apart from a very very weak statement that he made you know he's been near silent you know it's it seems to me that the rats in the sewers of london mean more to him now than mm. the people of Gaza, and that's really the travesty of these party systems, which I think we can explore.
2: And, the, and world yeah, world. the far right and others say, "Oh, we got these Muslim politicians, Sharia law in London, yeah. and oh, they're not representing us." I mean, on the the opposite, the opposite is actually true: that they're very faithfully representing uh, elite Western interests, and yeah. they're very obedient servants. I think this deserves some credit for actually uh, very faithfully and completely supporting um, what the rulers say we should. But of course, that's not exactly um, Islamic, nor is it in the Muslim interest, which is obviously to uh, and and a human interest. This is a human rights issue, actually, which which concerns the globe, um, supporting the right of uh, men, women, children just to survive. And the moment they are being systematically slaughtered, as you say.
3: Yeah. Um, uh, interesting. I mean, I I would like to show you, if I can, uh, Mm. this website that we've created, so we put together and I've, I'll explain who we are in a second, but we put together a website which very clearly lays out uh, those MPs that vote uh, against a ceasefire. Remember, an abstention may sound like
2: a neutral position. It isn't. You yeah. against- no, it, says, it says for now, we have included a list of all the constituencies where there is at least a 10 percent Muslim vote. Yeah. Fascinating. We will add a full list of all constituencies closer to the election. And I'll put a link to this below because I don't have any other website like this. Absolutely fascinating.
3: Well, so for the last month, I've been working together with a a collection of, let's call it a network of groups. So MEND and MAB, Community Policy Forum, some of the tech companies, Pillars and Muslim is a really important company, Islamic Finance, Guru Verge. Uh, and Dean developers, we've we've been working.
2: And uh, oh, that's by the way, that's the Thinking Muslim podcast, just there on the bottom right hand corner, folks. So do that's do right do, uh, do uh, click on that link, which is in the description below as well. Um,
3: and what we've been doing is really working on the the data, working on how, uh, like understanding the 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 granular data within the Muslim communities. If you click on who to vote for, uh, mm-hmm. we've created this table which allows you to quickly filter uh, the Muslim seats. So as you quite rightly pointed out, these are seats, these are constituencies. If you remember um, back to your, you know, your. we don't have civic lessons, but if you study government and politics, say at A-level, um, we have 650 uh, constituencies in the UK, and each constituency is represented by a single MP. And um, uh, what we have here is, in effect, Uh, a table of constituencies where muslims have a substantial or can have a substantial impact on the outcome of the election um and so uh, and and i filtered it by ceasefire vote so these are all of the mps there are around 50 just under 50 mps who live in areas which by the way you know some of them are you know, ten
2: percent, but these are areas with, which have got forty-two percent, forty percent. Yeah, first yeah, of course is uh, is uh, um, a very large number of Muslims in that city, but I think more than any other major city in the country in terms of proportion of the total population. Yeah, yeah. All of these
3: abstention MPs are Labour MPs, and uh, yeah. and so there are around forty-two Labour MPs who live in substantial Muslim areas who abstained. Some of these are Labour just think about Bury North. Bury North has uh, the Labour MP in that area has a majority of just 105. So just to explain that in layman's terms, wow. uh, the nearest competitor to da- to Daily James and and that would have been probably the the, the the Conservative Party. So so Daily James won by 105 votes. There are mm. 8,377 Muslim electors. So our data scientists they combed through the 2021 census. And we've managed to get not just the Muslim population in total, but actually Muslims over the age of 17, 18, and over uh, who, are, who are eligible to vote. So, Muslims mm. in Bury North could actually impact that seat. I would say to Muslims in Bury North, there is just no way you should accept uh, these genocide advocates. Mm-hmm. Daily James should never get your vote uh, in that election. And again, we can expand on that. So, even though only 10%. Of the population in Bury North maybe uh, not the population of the electorate in Bury yeah. North, may be Muslim. They actually have an inordinate, a disproportionate, uh, leverage in, in that particular seat. Uh, just to show you another seat uh, on this list, um, we've got um, Barkin. Barkin is the home of Margaret Hodge. Now, Margaret Hodge. Is probably the strongest Zionist sympathizer in the Labour Party. Uh, she's got form, and um, uh, if, you know she she was instrumental in ousting uh, Jeremy Corbyn from the Labour Party. In, in I think she's she
2: Jewish herself, isn't she? I think she is, is Jewish. Right? Yes.
3: Yeah. Now Margaret Hodge is the MP for Barkin. Uh, she's got a twenty five percent Muslim majority. There are twenty four thousand yeah. Muslims in the area. Her majority is only only i mean that's that in a normal election that's pretty substantial it's 15 and a half uh, uh, thousand votes now she is retiring but by uh-huh. all accounts her uh, the, the her nominated successor is very similar in thinking how could mm-hmm. it be that muslims in such substantial numbers in a london constituency would even allow someone like margaret hodge to be their mp she's a labor mp Mm-hmm. West Streeton is another example. West Streeton is the shadow health secretary. Uh, he has a five thousand two hundred eighteen majority. There are twenty almost 26,000 Muslim electorate in his area. Now Ilford North, I would like to come back to a bit later because Ilford North, I've been uh, working with a group of really great young professional minded people. Who are actually developing a campaign, a very, very granular data driven campaign uh, to, uh, to to undermine West Street. At the very most, uh, their attempt or their intention is to prevent him from winning that seat. Now, why that's, is that substantial? You and I are old enough to know, uh, to remember the 97 election, uh, Paul. I think, yes. uh, I don't know about you, but I, I'm a bit of a politics geek and I was up all night during that election just watching. Okay. Uh, the vote count and the big moment of the 97 election was the Portillo moment so that's all, that was when michael portillo if you remember the up and up and coming the, uh, conservative shadow minister lost his seat in uh, uh, do you remember that and that I became do, I do, I do the, the, you remember it was over a quarter of a yeah. century ago but yes i do vaguely remember <laughs> so the portillo moment was really interesting because it showed it was a symbolic Uh, uh, The symbolism was, look, even your up-and-coming, he was probably going to be the next leader of the Conservative Party Mm -hmm. out of Mm -hmm. office. Mm -hmm. West Street is very similar. West Street is touted to be the next Prime Minister after Keir Starmer. And so Muslims have it within their gift to undermine this person, not just, by the way, because of his Gaza stance. And on Gaza... He, on Gaza, the Labour Party is, I should have said at the very start, the Labour Party has had a horrible position. I mean, Keir Starmer, if you remember, at the very beginning of the crisis, he was asked very clearly by uh, Nick Ferrari from LBC. And it was a very softball question. But, you know, is it acceptable to cut off water and electricity and gas and provisions? Is that against international law? And, um, you know, Keir Starmer's response was something to the effect of, no, it isn't. You know, Israel has a right to self-defense. Now, Keir Starmer um, uh, is able to hold that position because he knows that he's not going to be held to account. In fact, in the country, Keir Starmer's ratings have actually improved
2: since saying that, right? In normal normal circumstances, if a politician had answered that question in that Hmm. way, normally, they'd be hounded out of office. There would be be a national shocker and he'd be kicked out of the party. But because we're living in this totally bizarre situation, actually to defend the ethnic cleansing of a whole people is actually seen as a positive thing. It's quite extraordinary.
3: Do you remember when uh, the former Labour leader, um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, made a vaguely positive comment? It wasn't even a positive, a neutral comment about Ukraine and Russia. Like, you know, we need to find a way to engage Russia. He said something to that effect. He was hounded by the press for the next month as being a sympathizer for, you know, Russian genocide or Russian ambitions. And, mm. and so, you know, it, it's unimaginable that a senior politician and by the way, Starmer is not just the leader of the Labour Party. He was formerly a human rights lawyer. He's well, what? He, he, he's he was a good. human rights lawyer. Uh, he knows about international law. He was the former head of the Crown Prosecution Service. The the the, the prosecutor. The, he was the the public servant responsible. That's how he got his knighthood. He's always, obviously known as Sir Keir Starmer, uh, a label he he particularly likes to use, of course, to win over conservative voters. My point about Keir Starmer is that, unlike Biden, way. So, if you think about the parallels in in, in America biden's poll ratings have taken a hit since yeah. his unequivocal
2: defense yeah. particularly amongst young people are, uh, you know people who watch tiktok etc you know they, 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 how can they they're thinking how they can, how can they support biden who is such a is arming uh israel and the, the assault yeah. on the palestinians absolutely um
3: uh, young democrats have been particularly disillusioned with biden and they're you know it's very clear that a number of uh Ah, uh, Democrats have left the party in in, in disgust. Well, in Britain, we we have had some defections, so we've mm. we've had around fifty councillors across the country, Muslim and non-Muslim who have resigned. In Oxford, no. uh, mostly non-Muslim. In fact, all but one are non-Muslim. The entire or, or large part of the Labour council uh, resigned, and so it's it's now Oxford is now under no overall control. In Burnley. The head of the Labour Council group resigned, as well as a number of uh, Labour MPs. And again, Burnley Council is now uh, in no overall control. Um, so we've had a good number of Labour defections uh, from the party. I was speaking to, for example, the CLP, the constituency Labour Party chair, in a in a very heavily Muslim density area, and he resigned out of disgust. You know, it's a very brave decision, actually, by. Yeah his brother he resigned because he, he felt it was just untenable that you could remain in a party yeah exactly i mean just to come back to that uh to to the original point i was making about Keir starmer so there were there are a number of labor mps who have particularly been very strong uh in uh in expressing their uh their um uh, pro israel and, and in effect anti-gaza perspective or anti-palestinianist perspective You've got uh, the shadow uh, um, foreign secretary, David Lammy. who was horrible at the very beginning of the crisis. Now, he's tried to roll back on some of that. And I'll explain why. It's not because he suddenly found a conscience. <laughs> but he was very horrible too in that crisis. Uh, you've got people like Emily Farnbury, another human rights lawyer, you know, from that yep. North London set, uh, who was asked point blank by Victoria Derbyshire, on her program you know is it acceptable to uh to deny the palestinians you know food water and clothing and she said look i'm not ready to comment on that israel
2: has a complete right to self-defense oh yeah i, I saw that on on news that was very very shocking i think can you just very brief i, I don't want to kind of hijack your your presentation not here probably. which is very very interesting i said i just must ask i think many people are wondering why does the labor party a party of the people that's what he yeah. calls itself that came from the working class that is traditionally seen as left or left of center thus you know speaking up for the oppressed the marginalized the minorities you know they, they always go on about minorities lgbt why are they suddenly taking sides with a a rogue state in the middle east that is has so far killed i forget what the latest death toll is 40 50 thousand uh women and children and men w- why are they because i mean no one's putting a gun to their head why would such a party do that uh, i i it, it seems like a complete betrayal of their heritage of their principles of their their whole ethos when it comes to uh the world i, I just don't get it so that's a huge question i didn't mean to throw that in I just in the middle of your presentation it's just if only, it's a rhetorical question there it just seems uh an extraordinary state of affairs maybe that's my point.
3: <laughs> that's a really great question, uh, Paul. And I think um, there are a number of Muslims who, despite what's happening in Gaza, are still under the impression that the Labour Party can serve them as a Muslim community. I mean, I met an 18-year-old in my local area recently. who has been campaigning for Palestine, and he's been very brave in uh, in in uh, standing up to his college authorities on on Palestine and Palestine related and Gaza related issues, yet uh, he said to me that when it comes to it, he'll probably still vote for the Labour Party because of the lesser of the two evils mm. argument. So, what is it about the Labour Party that allows them to be advocates for genocide, or at least the shadow front bench, the leadership of the Labour Party, and a great number of Labour MPs? Why are they ready to endorse such a reprehensible position? Well, Mm. uh, there's a number of reasons behind it. The primary reason is that the Labour Party, uh, for it to be seen to be a credible party of government, it has to follow the Tony Blair strategy. The Tony Blair strategy was uh, to be as closely aligned to the United States as possible. Mm. So, you know, I mentioned that David Lammy has somewhat um, diluted his message in recent days. That's simply because the Americans have somewhat diluted their message. So what the Labour Party are effect doing is they're echoing the Secretary of State in the United States. They're echoing Biden. Uh, so when Biden, if Biden tomorrow called for a ceasefire, then the Labour Party will call for a ceasefire. Now, why is that important? Well, for the Labour Party, uh, they need to give the impression that they are a capable and responsible party of government. And one of the... Um, one of the main ways by which they can do that is to show that they are aligned and allied closely with the united states so you well, may well, know if
2: you say allied and aligned is that the correct adjective to use it sounds like britain has been the poodle the labor has been the poodle of america because a means well we're, we're standing shoulder to shoulder we're cooperating we're walking in an alliance but that's not what you've described you said yeah. Well, if America decides tomorrow to order a ceasefire, the Labour Party will suddenly jump up and do exactly the same. That's not an alliance. That 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 is simply being subordinate and obedient to a foreign power, actually. Is yeah. and that is very un British, apparently. You know, we're not supposed to be subordinate to foreign powers. Yeah. Um it's just whatever happened to our autonomy our dignity even but that's exactly what you're describing so yeah. um anyway let me interruption. Sure.
3: no i i think it's a it's a great interruption i mean you're probably right i mean the, the united kingdom today especially post brexit post covid uh the united kingdom is uh, a weakened power in the world um the uk economy is doing particularly badly in relation to the g20 countries um And one of the key objectives of the Keir Starmer Labour Party, in fact, it's it's probably a bipartisan objective, is you've got to be very close to the United States and support them. And you're right, that support is not a support of equals, of course. The United States is a global superpower. And the United Kingdom doesn't really have that level of power that it used to have back in the 50s and 60s. So the United Kingdom, think about Tony Blair, think about how... He aligned himself to uh, uh, to George Bush during the Iraq war and closely followed the lead of George Bush. He was the first prime minister to visit the United States after 9-11. He, was, uh, uh, he gave his unequivocal support for any action that the United States would undertake in that war on terror. He not only uh, uh, coalesced, he uh, helped the United States commit the most horrific crimes. Uh, during that period, we know that because a number of uh, high court cases uh, uh, had come about after that. One particular case was um, the Libyan national who was uh, who was kidnapped
0: yeah. from
3: the UK under Labour's watch, kidnapped yeah. to the uh, to Libya, and uh, was horrifically tortured with his pregnant wife. And um, when uh, he tried to get uh, a uh, he tried to get his day in court. The then Cameron government uh, did everything it could to prevent that case, using national security as a as a pretext to stop the case. He won his Supreme Court case against uh, 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 that Cameron decision, and he did finally have his day in court. They tried to bribe him with millions, and his response was, uh, I would rather have one pound but an admission that the government was responsible for my torture um and um it he had his day and by the way you know it was Theresa may when she was prime minister in in parliament she had to give a very groveling apology to this man for what the government of tony blair had done to him and his family uh so we know that the U- united kingdom uh contributed to uh the secret prisons around the world they contributed to the torture chambers that were created in morocco and in pakistan They were all complicit in that. And uh, back to Keir Starmer's labor, there is no difference between Keir Starmer and Tony Blair on this level. Mm. Keir Starmer will give up every pledge he has made in order to come to power. And you will see with Keir Starmer, a relationship with the United States That is even closer, by the way, than the relationship between the current Conservative Party and the U.S. Now, by the way, the Conservative Party is unacceptable for for all of us, for for Muslims. But the Labour Party has a particular form when it comes to this. Now, just very quickly, a second reason why they're they're, uh, so stubborn on this very pro-Israel perspective Mm. is Mm -hmm. partly because of the strength of the Israel lobby. And uh, in particular, the Israel lobby was instrumental in ousting uh, Jeremy Corbyn from the leadership of the party. Uh, If you watch the Al Jazeera documentary, a series of documentaries that looked at internal uh, leaked memos, it's very clear that the Labour Party was internally plotting against its leader, Jeremy Corbyn, Mm -hmm. uh, and and they were coalescing and and working with the Israeli embassy. Uh, in in bringing him down. So there is this r- a horrible relationship between the current Labour Party and the Israel lobby in, in Britain.
2: A, when you Just a quick footnote, when you say the Israeli embassy, and I have seen these programmes and, and this is indeed the case, what we're talking about is the active intervention of a foreign power mm-hmm. in the internal political machinations of a British political party. It's not just like mm-hmm. the embassy, it means a foreign power. That's what an embassy is. It represents a foreign government. So this is remarkable. It's not just a, a passing detail that a foreign power has such is conspiring in a in a British political context to to affect electoral outcomes. But I suppose to be fair, I would imagine most governments have always tried to manipulate and change uh, elections and so on around the world. America's done it. Britain's done it around the world and so on. But um, well.
3: But of course, if you know, there are there are actually parliamentary rules against foreign interference in Indeed. British elections. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and, and, and by the way, when the Russians tried to do it uh, here in the UK over during Brexit, yeah. there were parliamentary committees set up to uh, to investigate what had happened, as, as in the case of the United States. So True. it's very clear that Israel gets a free pass when it comes to its right. activities in the uk yeah Uh, before we we move away from uh this uh this table um it's probably quite important to mention one or two other examples because I, i i mentioned these only because i would like muslims from these areas uh to to get in contact in fact i've had a number of muslims contact me now from probably over a dozen probably 20 areas so we're, we're, we're working with the grassroots but think about slough as an example i met with a, a, a brother yesterday from slough, so, so that, slough it, Slough's near london by the way for those who don't know in southeast england yeah yeah uh, it's the home of the office if you remember the original office it was based in a oh, really? Slough, is meant, oh, yeah, slough right. is meant to be one of those depressing places sorry if you live in slough but it is quite <laughs> depressing oh, there
2: really? was a poem written about slough it wasn't there by a an old and, english poet john john betteman yeah come yeah. kindly bombs and bomb the hell out of slough yeah it's, <laughs> actually it's a very uh beloved poem actually in england about, yes. about uh, it was actually talking about the german bombs during the yes. second World war he was he was praying the germans would come along and actually bomb slough to his middle <laughs> of not because he was a Nazi because he hated slough so much
3: <laughs> that's right so so slough uh the constituent cmp is tan desi now tan desi is interesting he is an ethnic minority Sikh, Sikh minority. He has historically had a very positive record in combat and Islamophobia, so we can't take that away from him. But he's mm. currently in the shadow, uh, he's a shadow minister. Mm. So of course, if he voted for the ceasefire, he would have had to have resigned or he would have been fired mm. from the front bench of the, of the Labour Party. Mm. Now, Tandesi, um, he uh, decided to vote against the ceasefire Despite having almost what twenty eight and a half thousand Muslims, and he's defending a majority of thirteen thousand, right? Mm-hmm. So of course Tam Desi knows that the Muslims are not organized enough in his constituency to damage mm-hmm. him, or that he can play on his previous record. So you know the uh, the the ceasefire vote is one of many things, and he can trade the lives of Gazans. Mm. with maybe, you know, a, a great speech he did back in 2021 on mm. Islamophobia. Um, I would say to the people of Islam, you can't accept that. Don't yeah. vote genocide. I mean, if there is a free word slogan, yeah. you know, get Brexit done, I would like people to go away with and and embed within the communities, don't mm. vote genocide. Mm-hmm. If these MPs are ready to uh, to vote for genocide, don't vote for them. Jonathan Ashworth is another example. I mean, he's obsequious. He is the most horrible Labour politician you will come You You speak to anyone in Leicester South, which is his constituency, Mm. and you will find that um, you won't find a good word said about him, even pre-Gaza, actually. But, of course, he lives in a safe seat. He's got a 22,000 majority. You could Mm. have a donkey, and by the way, he's not far off from that. You could have a donkey in (laughs) Leicester South, and that that donkey... that was cutting.
2: We, we, I mean, I, I, I think that's fairly offensive to donkeys. Actually, I mean, we really must yeah. show more respect to our four-legged oh, creatures. Yeah. Okay, so can I ask you? Can you explain whether um, Muslims can make a real difference in elections, then, given all these all this data that you've just explained to us? Yeah, Jazak So actually,
3: uh, this data is just a minuscule amount of data that we've managed to uh, to. develop in this past uh, few Mm -hmm. weeks and months and our conclusion is that there are over 80 seats where potentially Muslims can make a difference in the UK and what I mean by a difference is uh, if you remember I gave you an example of say Huddersfield Uh, I haven't given you Huddersfield an example but the majority for the of the sitting MPs 4,937 yet the Muslims uh, community is 16,561. Mm-hmm. That shows us that the Muslims could swing the vote in that area and the Muslims could, if they if they worked together in an organized way, they could prevent this genocide advocate, Barry
2: Sherman, from taking that seat. So, so what, why aren't we making a difference then? I mean, if it's that simple, yeah. why aren't we making a difference?
3: because we're not organized, because we don't think in an organized way, we don't work in a coordinated way at a local level. That is not to say, by the way, that there hasn't been attempts to do that. Yesterday, I was on a call with uh, members from uh, MAB and MEND and MCB, and the overall response, uh, overall feeling was that, look, we have been trying this for some time, but for whatever reason, We've never managed at this stage to get enough coordination across the country for mm-hmm. Muslims to work together. The problem we face is, unlike the United States, for example, where you have presidential elections, which are big, big national affairs. In the UK, in order to have an impact, you actually now have to have an impact in Rochdale. You've got to have an impact in Feltham. You've got to have an impact in Peterborough. You actually have to have an impact and a, and a coordination infrastructure in each and every single one of these communities. So in Ilford North now, there is a coordinated infrastructure. These young brothers and sisters have come together. These are young professionals, lawyers and, and teachers and, and doctors. They've come together and they've developed an organization to combat, to address West Street and in their area. So And they're far ahead. By the way, if anyone here is, is thinking of doing something similar, it's worth visiting North Ilford North. And speaking to them about their experiences because they so have a, a website, on,
2: an organizational name. That that we
3: I, as far as I understand it, they're in the process of creating a website. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. they've already had a public meeting; two hundred people, or just about two hundred people, attended. Uh, at uh, and the, the meeting went on from eight, from seven thirty to ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I remember commenting. Uh, there were a number of non-Muslims there as well, so it's a broad community approach and I remember commenting to a friend to a person there that you know where else in the country would you find a political meeting at this stage when there's no general election which lasts which will have so many engaged people uh, mm-hmm. at 10 o'clock in the evening um, so there are there is there's great community activism or organizing let's call it community organizing taking place at a at a local level. But we need much more of that. So in, answer to, in direct answer to your question, it's not because uh, we haven't tried. There have been attempts in the past. Mm. But maybe, just maybe, Gaza is the, is the trigger the, to, to create a momentum. Because there's enough people now so disillusioned with the Labour Party. Remember, it's worth saying, back in 2019, something like 80% of Muslims voted Labour. Yeah, yeah. so labor know that the muslim community is the block is a voting block for them well if you live in any one of these 50 seats you're mm. not going to be voting labor
2: so well, what, uh, what exactly are you advising people to do in the uk in 2024 then because so your analysis is clear but uh mm. w- w- what are the practical steps you're advising people to take
3: right so um i'm going to switch the filter here to percentage of muslim electorate so These are the seats where Muslims are the most concentrated in the UK. So Bradford West is is the the most concentrated Muslim electorate, followed by Birmingham, Hall, Green and Moseley, uh, followed by East Ham and Blackburn and and so on and so forth. So what are we saying? If you live in an area which has more than 10 percent Muslims and can have an impact on the outcome of this election, we're advising you to not vote for the genocide advocate, right? Mm. So, if you live in Birmingham, Ladywood, do not vote for Shabana Mahmood, even if she's a, a Muslim. Do not vote for Rushnara Ali. Do not. So, the first thing we're saying to Muslims is to Muslim voters is don't vote for genocide. Um, those people who abstained or who voted against, uh, like Ian Duncan Smith in Chingford. Do not vote for them, right? Because these are people who are who do not care about your vote. If you are one of the 80% who voted Labour uh, in the last election from within the Muslim community and you live in any one of these seats, just don't do it, right? So then the question arises, right, what should you do in that yep. instance, right? Because you are a Muslim voter and the large number of muslims still vote and and want to vote in order to make a difference so our uh uh uh, then we say there are two options either if you have a constituency where you can do like ilford north where you can put forward an independent and the numbers add up like Dewsbury, like batley like um uh parts of leicester leicester west if you live in those constituencies And you've got the infrastructure and the know-how to put forward an independent, and it's not an easy thing, uh, then do so with the expectation that even if you don't win it, that can be the repository of enough Muslim votes so that these genocide advocates do not get their seat. Do you understand? So in a first-past-the-post system, it's about…
2: yeah, I know that. I, I'm just a bit slightly sceptical because um, yeah. MPs are elected by all the people in the constituency, not yeah. by, even if Muslims make up 10-20%, they're still a minority. Yeah. So if there is a, 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 um, a national massive sweep to Labour, which is almost yeah. certain, as you agree, yeah. it doesn't really matter what the 10-20% do. In any, they're going to get elected anyway ah. um, because um, the, the Muslim vote is still a tiny minority. It's not going to offset the majority, which yeah, are right. going to overwhelmingly vote Labour, if you sort of I mean. So
3: right. I'm going to highlight uh, the following seats for you. I'm going to go down. Sorry, this is a bit of a guesstimate. I've got it on a separate spreadsheet, but I'm going to highlight, I think, up to here. Right. These seats here have enough Muslims. And if everyone in the Muslim community voted in a particular direction, they would guarantee an MP. Mm. Okay. All right, I'm going to say that again. If you were in Jewsbury and Batley, where you got 31,000 votes, the uh, Labour Party, and I'm guessing here, and uh, it's between fifteen and 20,000 uh, votes went to the Labour Party in Jewsbury and, and Batley. The Labour Party uh, would be defeated in this area on the basis of 60%, 70% of the Muslim vote, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as if Muslims are are not in in insubstantial numbers in these constituencies. In Bethnal Green and Stepney, Muslims have a... uh, Rashnara Ali, uh, her majority is big, right? So it's very neck and neck. But if every Muslim... Remember, the the Muslim who votes for an independent in that constituency is taking away a vote from Rashnara Ali. Probably 100% of Muslims or 90% of Muslims in that constituency voted for her in the last election. Mm -hmm. So as you take away, you add. Mm. So in essence, you know, uh, 40% of the Muslim electorate in that area can oust the local MP. And by the way, I'm in contact with some Muslim groups in the area and they're thinking about, they're in the process. Mm. And the good thing about Bethnal Green and Stepney is that they've got form. If you remember, they've got a an independent mayor, Mayor Lutfer, mm.
1: uh,
3: who, uh who won office despite <laughs> the Labour Party using as many... But a dirty tricks campaign against him, he ended up being the elected mayor of the area based on the Muslim Mm -hmm. vote. Right. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean we should be exclusive, exclusive Muslims in our areas because we want to reach out to the non-Muslim community. Uh, The good people of Ilford North, they know full well that there is a substantial number of non-Muslims who also have a very big problem with genocide. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you? you know they've if you go on any of the demonstrations you and i have been on the demonstrations we know that a large number of those people who turned up week after week to 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 protest against genocide are not muslims Mm. um not only that people like west street in in ilford north uh they're um uh, they're in the process of privatizing the nhs you know west street is a is a major endorser of of um of a private form of nhs so uh, mm. There are a good number of people who are concerned about the future of the NHS. In fact, I sent a tweet out at the very beginning of this crisis about West Street in. And it was surprising just how many non-Muslims contacted me and said, do it, do it for us, because we know this person is going to damage our National Health Service.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, he's the shadow health secretary and would be the, sh- the health secretary when, he-
2: when Labour come to power. Is it possible just to pause a second and, and look at um, more metaphysical issues? Because Muslims, by definition, are those uh, who submit to God. And so, you know, that God, religion, theology, law matter. Uh, so more fundamentally, how does what you say intersect with Islamic ideas of sovereignty belonging to Allah? Because there are Muslims um, who believe that voting itself is haram and voting in a democracy i should say the yeah. uh, hizmetz are famously against us but not against elections and just against the idea of democracy because sovereignty yeah. as they understand it in a democracy lies with human beings rather than god as it does in islam so how do you uh, how do you respond to that, those issues yeah i mean
3: i mean there's a perfectly valid discussion out there that Are we even allowed to engage with the political process are we allowed to vote within the political process now it's important to note here that even if a muslim just gets voted say as an independent and by the way that's not going to happen overnight that's going to require a lot of work i think that's a free election strategy you're not going to really get a large number of independents if any in this coming election so the 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 most important thing i want your listeners or your viewers to get to go away with is if you live in any one of these constituencies that voted for the cease uh, against the ceasefire vote against them so the question then arises all right is that even allowed are we allowed to to get involved in that well my answer to that is voting in itself is not impermissible you're mm. allowed to vote for representatives in fact even those movements who claim who say that it's haram to vote at various points in time have engaged with the democratic process and have, uh, Been elected to parliament, say in Jordan, for example, and Palestine, when they, when Palestine and Jordan were together. So it's not it's not the case that voting in itself is haram. It's what the candidate or the MP does once they get there, which is the big problem. Mm. If that candidate does anything which is contravention, which is contravening Islam, which goes against the Islamic intent, then that candidate has committed haram. But if that candidate stays, knows that, he or she is a person of taqwa, know that, and they remain within what is acceptable, what are the acceptable limits that the Sharia has given them. So, for example, a vote comes up about the NHS. Uh, should the NHS be reorganized, according to this? Now, in that, essentially, that's a, a question of two Mubahat, two allowable things. Should the NHS be uh, allow for part privatization, or should we have a free service? That does not contra Either decision, by the way, does not contra- contravene the Sharia. Um, so, in that sense, a Muslim MP who is engaged with the allowable within that setting, it's permitted for that Muslim. It's when they end up uh, 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 developing legislation which contravenes Islam. Now the question comes about democracy because you raised the question. Well, what about democracy as a system? Um, yeah, that's right. Now democracy uh, uh, is one of those contested concepts. Um, there is no clear definition. Neither, and, and there's not a thinker who uh, who we rely upon to have a a, a one. Uh, size fits all definition of what democracy is so and by the way i may not subscribe to some of what i'm going to say next but there are some uh, very credible islamic scholars who argue that if democracy just means voting for a representative when we have voting for a representative in islam
2: no 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 that, 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 no i mean i think in the western tradition if you look at classical liberalism we're looking at people like john locke mm. uh, and uh j.s mill in the 19th yeah. century john locke in the 16th in the 17th century yeah. uh he, he was seen as the the founders of, of modern democratic theory both in the united states and in the uk yeah and i think that you know their idea of sovereignty is very much human beings uh are being sovereign deciding for themselves Without any reference to a divine agency or divine law, what is and isn't the case in any given society? What is right and wrong? Basically, it's metaphysically focused on the human, uh, the human will, the autonomous human will. So um, it's not, as, as I said in my prayer, it's not elections that I issue here because you know the early Sahaba they voted or they, they consulted and they decide as a group to elect a successor. But it, it's it's democracy. Do not all of these? I mean, there are other theories. You're right, but even Spartan democracy, going back to the ancient Greeks, yeah. was premised on the idea of the popular human will. I think yeah. that, you know, "demos" means people, and "ocracy" meaning rule. So it's that rule by the people. But Muslims believe God rules, not not human beings. So it's no not doubt. elections yeah. as such. It's the actual substance of the system itself. You know, what, is it theocentric or is it man centric? is it man centered?
3: I, I I totally accept that. By the way, I mean, you know, by the time John Stuart Mill comes along, it's just a given that human beings make the legislation. I mean, I don't think John Stuart Mill ever actually openly suggests anything other than that, you know, because 20. because human society has now prog- so-called progressed to the point where God's law means nothing, you know, in the nineteenth century, and and what matters is our M- elected representative. I mean, John Stuart Mill developed the notion of representative democracy as opposed to direct democracy. And so you have a group of people who make decisions on behalf of others. Um, now, now, back to the point you make about sovereignty. Of course, that, that matters to us. So, for example, if you are a Muslim lawyer and you represent a client who owns a pub or a bar and someone steals uh, their wine and their beer, um, are you allowed to represent them? Well, according to many scholars, you're not, because in that instance, the the legislation is is does not permit that person to own the bar in the first place, or to own the the wine in the first place. But if, for example, you're a lawyer and someone uh, commits grievous bodily harm uh, on a person, and that lawyer now has to act on their behalf, is that lawyer allowed to do so? Well, of course, they're allowed to do so because that's a right that Islam allows. So what I'm saying here is that if there is a right that Islam permits then it's permitted to be uh, to engage in rectifying that right as long as Islam permits it. So for that muslim mp in other words the reference point has to be Islam. The reference point has to be Allah taala, right? Like the lawyer, like all of us by the way, you know, in our, in our individual professions we of course have to engage with with what is secular law Mm -hmm. but we know full well that there are limits to what we are allowed and not allowed to do because we have an ethical framework which comes from allah subhanahu wa Mm ta'ala and i would say that's no different to a muslim mp in in parliament as long as they stay within those boundaries and those acceptable red lines that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set us right Mm -hmm. um Uh, And so, and what is my point? My point there is not to say then, you know, this is somehow an Islamic exceptionalism argument. It is that Muslims have an opportunity to be of wider worth and value to wider society. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the time, what we believe to be an ethical framework is in fact better for all human beings. There are many things that Muslims subscribe to, family values being one of them, that if people truly understood the impacts that family has on society, they would be embracing this even for an instrumental outcome, because the impact it has on childhood, right down to childhood, childhood obesity and, and childhood crime and and, attain, and and educational levels. So why then shouldn't a Muslim who's, who's grounded in, in fiqh and grounded in Islamic ethics, why shouldn't that Muslim be in a position where they're of benefit to society? yeah i mean to, uh, on the weekend i'm going to be uh, uh, meeting with a group a very esteemed group of scholars of ulama and uh, we're going to have this very similar discussion right and um um you know the, uh, my point to them is that uh in the same way that salahuddin ayubi uh was a warrior uh and a you know a, an administrator he relied on a, a, a debt an in a group of of uh, scholars, who gave him the understanding and the knowledge and the know-how to make the right decisions when it counted. That's the role of the ulama um, in in the UK. You know, they have to give a Muslim candidate who's sincere. They have to give him the, the right counsel.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, I mean, that's fair enough, but are we not in danger of propping up an Islamic, un Islamic system by encouraging people to participate in it? Do we not become unwitting accomplices uh, in in a system that's not, uh, you know, un Islamic?
3: Yeah. If you're Sadiq Khan, then you are. If you're uh, Shabana Mahmood, then you are. If you're Rushnara Ali, then certainly you are, right? You're propping up the uh, the uh, the horrible system which has created mass inequalities, which has created, you know, a a society of of immense poverty, which has created a capitalist system which has undermined not just the people of Britain but undermined the world. So undoubtedly, if that is your mindset and if you're making those compromises with the liberal state, then certainly, you know, as we said earlier, if you are one of those Muslims who joins a system for your career and you work through the lofty heights of the British political system, the party system works in a way to shred you of all of your ethical underpinnings. And yeah. by the time you get to the very end, you are no different. Sadiq Khan is no different, by the way. I mean, yesterday I had a very, a very good, dis- a very nice, very pleasant discussion, but very uh, engaged discussion with a brother. Um, and um, he said to me that, look, he if everything fails, he will still vote for Sadiq Khan. And my answer to him, no, I would never do that because Sadiq Khan sends the message that in order to get to the position you are in, you've got to shred every aspect of your Islam uh, and only have, you know, famously Sadiq Khan fasted when he had that debate with, you know, the Brexit debate with, um, with Boris Johnson, you know, he broke his fast on stage and everyone wooed over how amazing Sadiq Khan was. So the only thing you only have left are these very, Uh, individualistic aspects of islam so of course if you're one of those people then certainly you're going to uh you're going to be faithful to a system that has failed you what i'm calling for is for muslims to be ethically grounded and the muslims who should challenge capitalism why Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. you know uh it's a different context but think about um uh, 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 think about the the greek uh left and we don't support for socialist left of course but think about Varys uh, 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 uh Yanovakis uh, sorry I've I've, I've lost yeah. his name uh, think about these economies
2: yeah, he, 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 uh, sorry he's very he's very active on Twitter and on social yeah. media he's very well he speaks English perfectly and uh, Perfect. he's very, very eloquent worth listening to very very pro-palestinian actually
3: yeah uh, very and yeah. but think about his basic message it is to challenge why mm. can't we be like that why do we have to be so subserv- subservient to the party system that once we get there we become like them why can't we actually be of service to you and by the way that message of that message is, is will resonate amongst large numbers of people i mean i made a point about the left um the left are, are disorganized the left uh, always try to stand for elections and they always fail uh, partly because they just don't have the organization of capabilities and the concentrations that the Muslim community have. Mm-hmm. So my argument to whenever I meet Muslims is don't don't believe that the, the left
2: will bring you anything because they're not. They fail every year, every election they fail. Bring okay. them what, to you. What about failure then? What successful non-Muslim movements or campaigns have you explored that Muslims might emulate?
3: Yeah, I think that's a very good question. We have to go as far as, say, Latin America to think about some of those asymmetric uh, uh movements that are able to uh, combat the the power the the machinery the uh the the money that these established political parties have we have to think about um, uh, uh, even by the way I mean even though these campaigns belong to the left we have to learn from the campaigns of uh, AOC in the United States and you know we we don't accept, what she has to offer on a, on on the social liberalism front, but just mm. the way she fought her asymmetric campaign against the establishment within her own party, by the way, within the Democrat Party, is a really good example of how you can organize. I mean, I I was uh, I've met now with two uh, senior members of the old Momentum movement of um, of the Labour Party. Now we have a big problem with some of their ethics. I, I'm not going to you know say anything otherwise, and I say it to them. But we can learn from how they organize within their communities, what they did right within their communities. So I'm not, by the way, saying that there's some somehow an Islamic method of elect- electioneering. I'm saying that there are people we can learn from. There are social movements out there, there are political movements out there that we can model our campaigning on. Uh, so that in our in those constituencies where Muslims can make a difference, uh, we, we you know we, uh, we really do make a difference I think so I'm not by the way saying here that we should go into any of this blindly uh, we have to organize and learn from people who have successfully organized in the past and I'm in conversation with some some people who, who've, who've done that successfully
2: but the thing is many would say that UK Muslims are deeply divided so how are we going to move forward on this given that alleged yeah. act? Yeah, I think mean,
3: that's very good. I think what is interesting here, I mean, if we read uh, here, you know, um, uh, to put Muslim issues back on the agenda, this is the last election we are, are going to be taking for granted. There are four million people acting as one. Uh, we are focused on seats where the Muslim vote can influence the outcome. We are here for the long term. Uh, we're laying the foundations for the political future for our political future. This is the first time, I would say, that's different Muslim. I mean yesterday, I can't reveal you know who was on the call, but yesterday we had over forty organizations wow. that came together on a single call. I mean, these are people from diverse Muslim communities in Britain mm-hmm. who are now working together to uh, to organize a unified approach to the ne- to next year's elections. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean we all have to agree on everything. Mm-hmm. There are people in those in those groups who would disagree with me on the Mm -hmm. ultimate end of getting enough independence in parliament, right? We don't have to agree on every single approach. What we have to agree on is what, you know, what we intend to do in 2024 on, on the basics of what we intend to do and work together. I personally believe that we should not at any stage try to break our unity and go off alone and do and believe that we're going to have an impact, we really have to work with Muslim groups and with Muslim, in particular, grassroots Muslim organizations, work with them. So just to give you an example, in this next week, I'm going to be visiting two or three, maybe the third hasn't yet, well, no, three areas where there are Muslim campaigns and discussions taking place. And they've invited me to, uh, to help them formulate a strategy and formulate a decision, right? um and uh, in my mind it's not about me dictating or an organization dictating how they should do it it's about a grassroots movement that works to uh, to build that consensus and unity amongst themselves um so in answer to your question i think gaza is a horrific uh, uh conflict but it has given us the opportunity and I place the word opportunity in inverted commas here because we should never think uh, that you know the blood of Muslims is 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 you know is sacred for us right but we know that it's it's focused minds and I think uh, it's given us this ability to bring together Muslims who may have ordered, may have in the past decided to work it alone and, and work within their own silos.
2: So do you think one day Muslims uh, can be a major force in Parliament itself?
3: I don't know is the answer to the question. I hope so. I wish so. I think we can. I think we have the ability to do that. I mm. think there are a lot of challenges in our way, certainly, and I think we have to be mindful of those challenges. I think it's interesting to look at examples like Sinn Féin. I mean Sinn Féin is a very very interesting example of mm. represent of ethical representation you know, these are people who get elected to the Westminster. Uh, they don't even take their seats, by the way. Yet they remain uh, wedded to uh, to their constituents and the needs of their constituents. So there are different models out there that we can we can somehow we can learn from. Um, and some of these models can be quite radical models, by the way. And I'm not I'm not in any way dismissing any of them because I think um, what I what I want to get across is the status quo what we have already is not working if you know let's go back to the top of 81 percent of mps did not back a ceasefire if we think we do have that level of influence um you know i i think we we were surprised when gaza happened just how uninfluential we are actually as a muslim community Mm -hmm. um it's probably also worth saying that As a Muslim community, we need to mature politically. And all I mean by that is, as part of this entire approach, we need to have good quality political education, political literacy. One of the things I I do a lot, or I want to do a lot more in the coming months, is just to hold free sessions in our communities where we just explain the political system. Mm. You know, there are still some people who believe, for example, that the Liberal Democrats are, you know, the panacea. Now... You know, it may be that the Liberal Democrats become a a reciprocal for your protest votes. They're never going to get to office. They've only got 15 MPs. So maybe that's a strategic move in one or two areas. I don't know, right? But if we study the current political context, the Liberal Democrats are not even, if you go back to Ilford North, if you go back to these constituencies, the Liberal Democrats are actually not contesting any one of these constituencies with large Muslim populations. Mm -hmm. So the idea that somehow the Liberal Democrats are going to solve your problem in 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 these it's it's fairy tales because the liberal democrats strategy at the moment sorry to go off on a, on a tangent but at the moment the liberal democrats have 30 seats that they're focusing on they're putting all of their energies in those 30 seats these 30 seats are conservative seats there is an effect an under the counter deal with the labor party you don't contest these 30 seats where we can we are the second closest to the conservatives you don't contest seats, and in your areas, we're not going to contest those seats. We mm. may put a candidate. So for example, in Ilford North, the candidate they've got lives in Bournemouth. He's got a full-time job, right? It's just a token candidate in order to uh, in order to show that, yes, we've contested the 500 odd seats in England and Wales. Mm. In reality, the Liberal Democrats are not in play in any one of these seats. Now, if we don't have that political literacy, we may think, oh, the Liberal Democrats, they're great. They're an amazing party. They're a the third English party. Um, but they've only got 15 MPs and they're not going to contest these seats, as I've said. Mm-hmm. So that level of political literacy is really important for us moving forward, I think. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, thank you very much indeed. I mean, we must uh, one day, inshallah, invite you back on. Um, Uh, discuss this further actually particularly when there have been uh, more organizational uh, developments which you've alluded to so we have something concrete to chew over uh, and uh, for Muslims to actually focus on the moment we're talking theoretically and and in terms of how to re you know reshape reconfigure uh, the paradigm Um, and uh, so it's it's very optimistic so thank thank you uh, very much indeed Mohammed Jalal for your time and your expertise Uh, hugely beneficial and I wish you well in your continued efforts in this regard so um thank you very much until next time
3: thank you very much paul
0: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona,
1: time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com